Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. What to tell you about Calcutta today? Now, Calcutta is in India, but India is not Calcutta. There are many beautiful areas of India. But Calcutta is known as the poorest city, as yet the poorest city in the world. Because of the poverty and the congestion, I remember, as I said on the screen, that when we stepped off the boat and I saw the congestion, what can a young couple in our 20s do in Calcutta? Congestion. 22 million people crowded in an area nine miles long and four miles wide. But God loved Calcutta. It was time for God to move. I love the scripture in Proverbs 27, 327. Withhold not good from them who deserve it, when it is in the power of your hand to do it. You know, a lot of people think it's in the missionary's hand to do it. But I've got news for you this morning. Everything that you've seen on the screen, that six-storied hospital, our churches, our schools, none of those would have been there if it had not been for pastors like yours, missionary giving churches like yours across this great country that have sacrificially given to missions, that have given and given and given, that we may have what we have today in Calcutta. <clears throat> well, we didn't go, <laughs> might surprise you, we didn't go to Calcutta as missionaries. Mark had just returned from the Orient after six months of evangelism, and 15 months later, we had the invitation to go to India for one year. But the last meeting that Mark held in the Orient was in Tokyo, Japan. I was born in Tokyo, missionary parents, and then raised in Vancouver, Canada, when my father and mother took over my grandfather's church there. But at the airport, the senior missionary said, Mark, over a thousand have attended this youth conference here in Tokyo. Come back to, India, to, come back to Japan and help us build up the youth of this country. And at the airport, God spoke to him, said, this is the last time you will speak to Oriental people. You'll go to India. Well, now, <laughs> India was far remote from his mind. So much so, he never talked to me or told me about this experience when he went, came home. But 15 months later, we received the invitation to go to India for one year of evangelism. Crusades were set up for us all over India. Well, in those days, you took the boat. It, <laughs> it took us uh, two, uh, three months, no, two months and three ships to get to Calcutta. And uh, the Sunday before, Mark preached in Glad Tidings in downtown New York. And uh, Marie Brown, Sister Marie Brown, the pastor's wife, was cast to close in prayer. She called me to the platform. She asked me to stand beside Mark. She put her hand on both our shoulders. And she prayed a very strange prayer. <laughs> she prayed God, make this couple a blessing to India for years to come. <clears throat> and she drug out the years. 
<laughs> going home, I said, Mark, what did she mean, years to come? We're only going for one year, aren't we? <clears throat> but God had a plan and a purpose for our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just come back from Calcutta in April, and the weather there is much different than here, humid weather. So maybe I could have some water, Pastor, please. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, dear. <clears throat> we started in a tent on the bare piece of ground. God marvelously moved from night to night. And then it was time the monsoon rains came. We couldn't stay in the tent any longer. We moved to an upstairs audi auditorium. <clears throat> and uh, they laughed at us. What is this new couple think they're doing? You know, there's a, a nightclub uh, underneath. They said, hell downstairs and heaven upstairs. <laughs> and it really was. But then it was time to build a church. No church had been built in Calcutta in a hundred years. The only property available was the property where it held a tent meeting owned by a Muslim family. Now, pastors talked to you this morning about Barnabas, the old Muslim gentleman that owned that property said, no, 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 no. All mosques were around that area. We can't have a Christian church in this area. But God provided one of our men from Springfield that was to look after our area interterminally. And um, he came out. He said, Mark, God is going to give you that property. He said, we're going to walk around it seven times and claim it for God. And they did. Do you know the next week that old Muslim gentleman said, I don't know why I'm doing this, preacher, but I'm going to sell you the land. 1959, the first church was built in Calcutta. What a day of rejoicing. Christmas Sunday, 1959. But everything got too small. We built a school, it got too small. Church got too small. Time to build again. Couldn't find anything in that congested city. Mark came home very happy one day and so excited. You know, when God told Mark something, nothing changed his mind. <laughs> he said, I found the land, four blocks square of the main street of Calcutta. I said, impossible. We've searched the main streets of Calcutta. There's no property available. Oh, yes, he said, there is. And then he said, it's an old cemetery. British have all gone. Kids are using it as a soccer field. God's going to give us that property. I said, I don't think so. He said, why? I said, the burial board will never give you a property like that to build a hospital and a church and all you want to build on it. He said, no, they won't, but God will. Do you know Calcutta is many hours ahead of us. Services in Calcutta are over today. Every state in India has a different language. We took a survey of the eight most important languages. And dear ones, I want you to know today, in eight different languages, 
this Sunday morning in Calcutta with different pastors and associate pastors in every one of those eight congregations. We had 5,000 people worship and praise God on that main service today. I just came home from Calcutta rejoicing. The work is growing. Not to speak of our branch churches around Calcutta and in the villages, but the main church. We started so small, but God is faithful. God is faithful. But as we started to work in Calcutta, James chapter 2 became alive to us. How can you tell anyone God loves them when they have nothing to eat, no clothes to wear, no comforts of this life? Thousands sleeping on the streets of Calcutta. You heard a beggar walked in, feed our bellies, and then tell us God loves us. A little girl fainted in one of our first classrooms. Mark said to her, darling, when did you eat last? She said, I can't remember. I can't remember. Rushed her to a city hospital, two in the bed, two under the bed. Low caste child, poor child. They couldn't care less if she lived or died. Mark came home with tears in his eyes and said, I will not only educate these boys and girls, but I will feed them and medically treat them. Thank God today we have a school, a hospital, six-story general hospital. Oh, one of the very few mission hospitals in all of India and the only mission hospital of the Assemblies of God. But it's treating thousands, you saw on the screen, for the poor and the needy, telling them about Jesus and his love. We opened our first school with 230 children. Now there are some prestigious schools in Calcutta, built in the 1800s for the rich. And they called us the slum school because we took poor children, 230 children. But we thought it was wonderful. But you know, we've just had our 50th anniversary. Oh, we have it in the largest auditorium in Calcutta. And the governor was our chief guest. He's telling pastor before the service. And when he got up to a podium to speak, do you know what he said? He said, the Assembly of God Church School have changed the face of Calcutta. What did he mean? By educating poor children, we have proven to them, with Jesus' help, that we can reach the poorest of poorest and today, they're doctors and nurses and teachers and pastors in our church. But you know something? A marketing concern came to Calcutta to grade the schools of Calcutta. And on the day, the morning of our big function and celebration, the headlines on the newspaper one of the main newspapers in Calcutta, it said the 10 best schools for your children to attend. And you know what? I was amazed to look at the pictures of those schools and find the picture of our school was number four. Number four. <clears throat> you know, 
I was amazed because some of the schools that I thought prestigious weren't even named. But the three top schools I knew were prestigious schools, as I mentioned, uh, built in the 1800s. What a day of rejoicing that was. Every January, we have a great alumni. They have it, they know I'm going to be there meeting ex-students. Tears in their eyes. Where would we be, Auntie, if it wasn't for the Assembly of God Church School? Last January, a Muslim student, I remembered him for Rosalie. said, Auntie, sit down, I want to talk to you. He said, I'll never forget the chapel services. I never will forget pastor's messages in chapel. He said, they're right here. Muslim student, right here. He said, I want you to know, Andy, something. I pray every day. I said, who do you pray to? He looked at me. I pray. Jesus? Put his hand up like that again. The seed is sown in the Muslim, in the Hindu hearts of these boys and girls. And you saw 32,000 children in our schools in the 11 states that come under the Calcutta Ministries. You know what God has done, and as I said, to God be the glory, great things he has done. And then a feeding program. Oh, we don't know hunger in this country. When we saw the hunger, children, garbage dump, Mother Teresa took us as we saw on the screen, feeding thousands, 25,000 every day in our street and school feeding programs. You know, I have a lovely lady traveling with me. Talk about a Mrs. Barnabas, she's one. <laughs> she encourages me all the time. She will be at the book table at the back. There are two books, Woman of Courage and Pathway to the Impossible. I urge you, $12 a book, but I urge you to buy one of those books. I'll tell you why. I don't have time to tell you 62 uh, the years of miracles or you never go home for your lunch. But in that book, you'll read that God is a God of miracles. In fact, I think uh, miracles, I think it's God's favorite word. But you know, everything we do, whether we, we educate, whether we medically treat, whether we feed, is for one purpose alone, and to win that family for Jesus Christ. In fact, $12, I want you to know, feeds a hungry child for 12 days. But as you read the book, I urge you to pray for that family that you're feeding. Because we try to tell them it's not the food for your, your bodies, but the food for their souls that they need. And then our hospital. What an arm of evangelism. Five chaplains going from bed to bed every day. I watch those chaplains praying for the sick. Greatest arm of evangelism, I want you to know. You know, one out of every 700 children in India is born with a cleft palate. Now, we have that in our, this in our country, but nothing like India. I walked into a ward one day, 30 children ready for surgery. Mother sitting beside her child crying. I knew why she was crying. 
pulled up a chair, sat beside her. And all she did was this. I looked down. I don't think I've ever seen a child like that, teeth growing out of her cheeks. But I said, Mother, tomorrow your little girl will be wheeled into the surgery, and she'll come out looking beautiful, and she did. She kept her for dental work for a few more days. Then I said, Mother, go back. The latest ministry we've had for our hospital is building clinics in villages. In villages where we couldn't build a church, we can't build a clinic. We have built a clinic medically treating. And when we get the favor of the villagers, you know what happens? The doctor's table becomes the pastor's pulpit, and we have church. I knew she was from one of those villages. And the tragedy is in their reincarnation belief. They believe that if a child is cursed, that has a deformity in their body, if they're crippled, or if they're blind, or if they have a disformed face, it's because of their ancestors at reincarnation. And that mother would be in a cursed family in her village. Mother, go back to your village. Tell them the curse is lifted. And you know, the next Sunday, that village clinic was packed. People wanted to know what Jesus had done for that little girl. This is what I tell you, dear ones, greatest arm of evangelism. And then the blind school. Sister Marsha and I were talking about the blind school to Sister Maria last night at the missions dinner. Blind, the worst curse that can come upon a family is to have a blind child. I said, God, give me a blind home. See those precious children given a cup and thrown into Calcutta in front of every restaurant, every hotel, begging, begging, begging. Today I have 200 blind children. I love to see them sing, Jesus loves me. They know nobody loves them, but they know Jesus loves them. And Sister Marcia said that when she took her team to the blind school, they were so impressed with those children. The love, the love that is shown. You know, I went to the blind school when I was in India, and the director said to me, I've got a, a real surprise for you, Auntie. Do you remember when we opened the blind school with seven children? Oh, yes, I do. Do you remember we had one boy in that blind home? I said, yes, I do. Well, we've got him here today. And I saw a fine young man, still blind, walk up the aisle of our auditorium in our blind school. And he, the director of our, of our blind school said to me, do you know who he is? He's an evangelist amongst the blind. And then he came, and we sat down, and I talked to him. He goes from village to village, preaching to the blind. I said, oh, thank God. We're not only running <coughs> school for the blind. We're not only teaching them drill. We're not even giving them college education. But we also have a Bible school here, uh, training them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Mother Teresa was a lovely little lady. Before she took very ill, she, she and I were in the hospital. She had brought a child for surgery. We were talking about the poor. And she said these words I'll never forget. She said, if you don't put love behind what you do, 
all your work is in vain. And then she took my hand in her 87-year-old hand. And she said, when you help the poor, you do it unto Christ. And I thought, yes, that's so true. When you help the poor, you're showing them the love of Christ. As she was on her deathbed, I was allowed to visit her, sat beside her. She was asleep. She opened her eyes. She heard my voice. And she held up her hand. I said, yes, mother, I remember. When you feed and clothe the poor, you do it unto Christ. You know, I told you we were in a number of states in India as our ministry grew. All the states surrounding us were unreached by the gospel. I don't have time to tell you how God opened state by state. Until now, the Calcutta ministry has uh, five states around Calcutta under their ministry. The screen said today 700 churches, but at the 100th anniversary of our Assemblies of God of North India in January, it was announced that we now have 1,000 churches in those areas. <laughs> Bible schools training national pastors. And I'm so grateful. But you know, I, we have seven states in Northeast India and they were unreached by the gospel. They look more oriental than they do Indian. And uh, my husband was invited to an international conference up there. God so moved in that conference that it was the birth of our Assemblies of God in those seven states of Northeast India. And I was invited up there for a pastor's conference. We now have over 400 churches in all the seven states. And uh, uh, wonderful young pastors, wonderful national pastors. But the general superintendent, uh, graduate from our Bible school in Calcutta, he said, Auntie, I'm going to take you somewhere tomorrow you've never been before. I said, where is that? He said, the largest cemetery in the eastern world is above the capital city of Kohima. The next day, we went. I never saw anything like that. Thousands of graves. When the Japanese were coming in from Burma, they claimed those seven states. He said they look more like Oriental than they do Indian. Thousands of young people that gave their lives. But as I approached the cemetery, there was a large arch. And on that arch was written these words, go home and tell them. We gave her today for their tomorrow. I stood below that arch with tears in my eyes. I said, yes, God. We have given thousands, approaching my 60th year of ministry, we have given thousands of children, families, not only a today, but a tomorrow. And then I thought of a grave in Calcutta. Mark died so suddenly, overnight. I stood beside the grave. And I said, God, 
35 years we have now been in Calcutta. That should be enough. After all, we only promised we'd come for one year. 35 should be enough. Have you ever argued with God? <laughs> and I'll always be thankful. The worship team started to sing that beautiful song, Amazing Grace, Love So Amazing, So Divine, demands, doesn't ask really, demands my life, my soul, my all. I said, God, if you help me, I'll stay. And you know, in these years, I've seen not only the Calcutta Ministries grow, the hospital, the feeding programs, the schools, the churches, as I visit them. When I attended on January, the 100th anniversary of our Assemblies of God of North India, and realize we of the Eastern District are one of the largest now in North India with a thousand churches and over 400 in Northeast India. God is good because of training national pastors. But you know, when I come home, I see we're living in a changing world. Investments are here today and gone tomorrow. But when you invest in the kingdom of God, it pays the best dividends. You know why? Money is the <coughs> currency of men, but faith is the currency of God. When you invest in the kingdom of God, it pays the best dividends. And that's why I love to quote that scripture that I did this morning. Because as you give to missions, God will bless you. <coughs> I travel this country speaking in churches almost every weekend, and the missionary church is the growing church, the growing church. You're investing in lives. I see that every day in Calcutta, but especially on one day. I traveled so much there was something wrong with my ear. I told one of the nurses in the hospital, I must see an ENT specialist. Oh, yes, she said, we've got a good one. He's new, but he's good. The next day, she took me down to the outpatients department. She knocked on the door. Dr. Bhattacharya, I want you to meet the president of our mission. I opened the door, I walked in. He got up from the table where he's sitting. I noticed he had tears in his eyes. And he looked in my face, he said, Auntie, I don't have to meet you. I met you when I was seven years of age. My father brought my brother and me to you. We were so poor, the poor called us poor. Rags, the clothes, no shoes on our feet. You put us into school. Pastor gave my father a job in your printing department. And from that day, our lives changed. I tried to remember thousands of children. You don't always remember their names. And then he reminded me that he was captain of our junior college. And I said, are you Subosh? He said, yes, I am. I said, Subosh, tell me, tell me. He said, well, and I graduated from the junior college. I applied for a scholarship and got it into medical school. 
But I prayed, and then I knew he was a very intelligent young man. He said, I prayed, God, help me with these subjects that I might go back to that hospital and treat the poor. I said, Sabash, they're lined up in front of your chamber here. Children, children, when you, when you treat the poor, when you take a poor child, does it remind you of yourself? Oh, every day, Auntie, every day. I sat on the platform the last Sunday I was in Calcutta before I went home in April. Senior pastor, our Dr. Ivan, was in Singapore preaching at the World Conference of the Assemblies of God. Our associate pastor preached that morning. As he walked to the pulpit, I didn't see an associate pastor. I saw a 12-year-old boy with his little brother and two sisters. Twice, twice, we buried his mother first and then his father from the villages around Calcutta. Poor, very poor. He looked up in my face and 12 years old said, we've got nobody now. We're orphans. I said, oh, no, Patrick, you're not. You're not an orphan. Put him in the boy's home with his little brother. Put the girls in the home, too. Girls home. And today, what a message. Put my arms around him after the service. said, Patrick, I'm so proud of you. And he said, oh, Auntie, what would I be without you? I said, no, Patrick, what would you do be without God? Because God worked a miracle in us being in Calcutta. And I often think when I stand across the street and see that huge mission today where, tell us we're the largest in the world, I say, God, what if we had left after one year? What if we had said to the missions department, we've filled our year, we're going home. And why we were there? While we were building, while we were buying the property, the missionaries, couple that we were asked to work with, decided to go home. I remember Mark called the missions department and said, what do we do? And they said, please stay until we find somebody else. Maybe they're still looking. What if we had not stayed? One year turned into six years. We were still not missionaries. Still in our 20s. Went home. Came back again. And since then, God has done wonders. I stood on the sixth floor of our hospital a couple of days before I boarded the plane to come home, looked out the window. School was just given out. Thousands of students were pouring out of school. Every life, every life was in chapel that morning, hearing the love of Christ. What an investment. I looked across the street 
saw the feeding program. Thousands lining up, or hundreds lining up for their food. Knew across the city at the garbage dump that morning thousands, 3,000 or 5,000 were fed a meal. Meals for their body, but more than that, they need to be one for Christ. And then I had just visited a poor lady in the hospital, and the ward was full. Full, full. And I thought, God, where would these poor people be if it wasn't for faithful people in our churches at home that support this hospital? Hospitals cost money. Hundreds of hospital, mission hospitals have closed in, in India. Didn't have the finances. But God supplies every month. Sometimes it takes a lot of faith. Medicines have increased in price. Operations also. Except a poor patient has admission, we don't know what is wrong. But God always provides. And it's because of your faithful, faithful giving. Doing does not count unless love motivates it. And loving does not count unless doing demonstrates it. You can't love Jesus without doing something about it. Do you love him enough today to feed a child for 12 days and buy a book? Do you love him enough today to say, Lord, I will continue with my mission's offering? Last night, Sister Maria called up those that are leaving from this church this year to go to foreign countries. I looked at all those precious people, and I thought, God, use them. And she asked me to pray. What an honor it was. Pray for that precious teams going out to different countries, various countries around the world. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to spend that money and do that. But you're building churches. You're sacrificing, building wells and whatever helping missionaries. And dear ones, you've helped us, and we thank you for it. And may God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. pray your heart was stirred today as you heard the word you can stay standing for just a moment I want to just pray for us here the Bible says about Barnabas when he showed up in Antioch he showed up to a group of believers and the Bible says he encouraged them and exhorted them to stay true to the word of God to fulfill the will of God I believe that this is what's happened to us in God's presence today amen church we've been encouraged and exhorted to do something, to be the one, to come alongside. And so for you, that's going to take different forms. For some of you, God's pressing you today to not stay complacent and comfortable, but to step out and to do something, to be used by Him, to do within your power to do. So I'm going to pray for you that we would become people of action, not just intention, 
I believe that we're not we're gonna see India again sometime soon. Maybe it'll be a trip that you'll be on, you'll be a part of. Maybe it's you stepping out serving across the street or around the world. Perhaps it's you hearing the call and you giving generously and sacrificially to the work, just like the work that we're talking about here. And if you'd like to do that today, there's an offering envelope right in your pew back in front of you. You can go on to our website at evangelchurch.com. You can give through our Evangel Church app in the App Store. And if you mark any of those offerings today and write it on the envelope or as you give online, Mercy Ministries, we're going to make sure all those funds are going to go to just be a blessing to the continued work, the thousands and thousands of lives that are being touched. And so maybe that's part of what God would encourage you to do, to be a blessing and to do something. But church, let's not leave here having heard this word, having been stirred in our hearts and to do nothing with it. It'll be time wasted. So I'm going to pray for you. And would you just take a posture of um, prayer and submission to God right now, that as we've heard this, that we would leave here motivated to do something with it. Lord, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. We thank you for your servant, Lord God, our sister, Lord God, our auntie, that would speak your word with such boldness, that would speak of the overflow of your faithfulness in her life, Lord God. We thank you that you have sustained her for these years, Lord God. So many they could never see. Only eternity would tell them the impact. And I'm thankful that she could stand on the sixth floor of that hospital and see the fruit, Lord God. That's a part of your blessing in her life, Lord God. And now we've been impacted, Lord God. So I pray, Lord God, that as the word has gone forth, that it's found fertile soil in our hearts, Lord God, and that we would now do something worth eternal impact for your kingdom with it. So go with us today, Lord God. May your blessing fall upon us, Lord God. Would you encourage us, Lord God? Would you keep us motivated to do what you've called us to do with your love? And may our actions demonstrate it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.